Hello strangers and welcome to episode 41 of Strangers in a Cinema, uh, a weekly show about films and stuff because I know you've obviously don't like the tagline Pete. So, uh, That's welcome. the new one, it's in, it's a lot. Yes. Uh, yes, welcome listeners to another episode of Strangers in a Cinema uh, where you will be given all your dues in the form of a trip through the cinema from start to finish with a newly titled section to open things up this week, right Paul? Yes, I'm very excited because as the regular listeners will know we've, we've played around with the format a bit recently and came up with the section that we not so creatively called Inbox. Um, which we were more than aware doesn't really relate to a trip to the cinema. So we put our heads together and we've come up with the new name for the opening section will be In the Foyer. It was very gracious of you, Paul, but actually that's 100% Paul Anderson work. So <laughs> that means that he both gets the credit and if in a week or two I decide it's rubbish, I can then put the full blame on him as well. Yeah, that's basically what happens with this podcast in general. To be honest, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so yeah, we're going to go into the foyer. Uh, it makes sense as the start of our trip through the cinema. Then we're going to get to the popcorn counters. You always do. We'll share the films that we've watched in the last seven days. In my case this week, uh, not that many. Uh, then we're going to get into our coming attraction section. You settle down in your seat and you, well, we talk about something um, upcoming in film, a trailer that we've seen, a trailer that you can see probably too. Then we get onto the features section, the meat of the show. This week we've got a gargantuan review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I don't um, know if anyone's aware that's coming out. Number one out not, <laughs> trending on the IMDb and everywhere else uh, movie. And then we'll get to the last section of the show, which is homework, a section in which I might be in a little bit of trouble, but we'll get to that <laughs> in due course. Uh, first of all, Paul, as you coined this section of the show, why don't you take the listener's hand and lead them... Into the foyer. Into the foyer. Yes, I like this. I like this. Sorry, listeners, the novelty value will wear off, but there's something about the word foyer that's quite quite sayable, I think. But yes, anyway, and sayable isn't a word. But yes, <laughs> let's... Uh, yes, without further ado, um, I was lucky enough last night to go and see uh, Mad Max again at the cinema, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, which anyone who knows me will know is one of probably one of my all-time favourite films, despite its relatively recent release date. I think it certainly factors in my would probably factor in my top ten. It um, is fucking brilliant, yes, isn't it? Let's it is. be completely yeah. frank. Um, and the more uh, the the people that are really into Mad Max will probably have noticed it's got uh, what's called the black and chrome edition, which is basically um, George Miller has recut the film in black and white. Um, and this was apparently his original intention for the film. That's right, yeah. George Miller said that um, the only way that he saw to depict a post-apocalyptic landscape was to go black and white. And if you were going to have to go colour, which you would for a sort of major cinematic release, uh, to saturate colour. Whereas he said and criticised, I think, other um, directors who tried to shoot and tried to depict those environments for having you know a kind of washed out look mm. and so you see in the original cut of or the original print of Mad Max that it's all this sort of bright saturated colour vibrant colour from the sky to the sand to the vehicles to the chrome that we had to begin with and then in this version you've got that yeah as you said like his original vision for yeah. how this thing was going to look now I feel terrible because I had to make a, a sort of 11th hour decision as to whether to go to that screening or go and catch Guardians before we did this podcast. I am dutiful to my role in, the, in this podcast, so I went to see Guardians. Paul, what did I miss out on not seeing this version? Because uh, we should say, sorry to interrupt, we should say that this is available on the Blu-ray. It will be. I think it will it's out be. on the Blu-ray okay. on the 15th of May, I think. There's, yeah, um, so, there's like a double edition coming out. So, so listeners yeah. can catch up with this version if they missed it this time, right? Um, and I think they absolutely should, to be honest. It, it doesn't, obviously it doesn't fundamentally change the film. It's the same film. There's no extra footage. Um, 
but it does give it a more it gives it does give it a, I say a more possibly a more claustrophobic and certainly a grimmer feel about the whole kind of you it's I mean the film's fairly bleak anyway uh, mm. but somehow the, the black and white makes it feel bleaker um it would be weird to say the certain scenes if I could have color back in certain scenes maybe some of the explosions that slightly miss it um that would be nice but overall I think George Miller's got a point could, could um, we see in the future like a, a half and half cut where he has some shots in colour and, and the rest of it in that would, I mean, that would be even more insane than the film is. It would be a lot of work. Stands. as well, so, wouldn't um, it? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I said some of the explosions, I think, suffer a bit from it. Uh, but for the most part, I think it works really well. But what's interesting and, and more as a, as a wider issue is James Mangold is also working on a, a black and white cut of Logan as well, which hopefully right. will get a cinematic release. And it's just more to just what do you think of this kind of... Yeah. in vogue sort of black and whiting black and whiting Hollywood films essentially Do you think, I, I, I think it's an interesting thing I think I, I don't think it can be a bad thing really but Hollywood's so black and white yeah. you could say <laughs> um, yeah I mean I just would champion anything that is uh, shows a bit of sort of diversity in what we have available at the cinema when this screening came around which like I say in the end I didn't go to which is a really a travesty but um, it just seemed cool that it's something different. It's a different experience. Mm. You already love the film. You've got a locked-in audience there. You know that it did well at the box office. Much, much better than expected in the case of Mad Max. But then people who enjoy the movie get to have, yeah, a different experience. An interesting, different experience. And and I'm all for that, really. And, and I think if we see more directors, yeah, like James Mangold, as you mentioned, uh, branch out... See, I think Logan will possibly work even better than Mad Max does in... In mm -hmm. black and white, I can I can just there was more about Logan. I think that probably lent it more. It's I think it's more, it's a more obvious film that lends itself to black and white than perhaps Fury Road is because Fury Road I think George Miller used color so well on that it was a bit of a surprise decision for me that he's decided to go for a black and white version. So yeah, very excited about seeing Logan and uh, yeah, we, you know it might be that we see we actually see some major blockbusters start being released in in black and white from the outset. Might well you see might. that yeah I mean that's the bit isn't it that's the tricky part I think with the. Uh, uh, sort of economics of, of Hollywood cinema and, and big budget you know film distribution these days it seems very it's, well a sort of intangible future where you could actually wide release something in black yeah. and white because the amount of people you know for better or worse the amount of people who are just going to write something off out of hand if it's released black and white I think true, is, yeah. is sort of scarily high really but then you know if we get the halfway house where it comes out as the you know color film and then later on there is a version released then you yeah know, and i'm more than right. happy is it and in, in fairness the screening wasn't full last night i'd say it was probably half full it was busy perhaps busier than i expected it to be but um why well, so, two seats didn't show up sorry about that you've ruined it yeah you, it would have been full <laughs> otherwise if it wasn't for you uh, missing out but yeah so what's your uh, what's your in the foyer pick for we're, this week we're talking about diversity man this week as you know and listeners don't so we're gonna fill them in um i went and caught up with a double bill of prometheus and the original alien oh this is for the alien day celebration yeah that's right yeah, I went last year but didn't go this year so. annual sort of uh, thing going on now and obviously in the uh, it, immediately leading up to Alien Covenant which is just a couple of weeks away now yeah um, what we've decided in terms of reviewing these films is that we're going to hold back or I'm going to hold back in, on this occasion reviewing Prometheus or, or Alien in the popcorn section because we're going to do a sort of big roundup alien type special in a couple of weeks time so you can look forward to that if you're a fan or avoid it if you hate all of those films but we're doing it regardless we're doing it regardless <laughs> yeah so uh, but the point I wanted to make was just that 
seeing films back to back, double billing films at the cinema, you know, we're talking about black and white in one sense being a different experience. Mm. This is a different experience that's almost completely died out, you know, um, at least in chain theatres. And I think, again, it's a great opportunity to get built in fan bases back into cinema seats for something that isn't just opening the same film on um, t- um, uh, umpteen I should say yeah. screens in the cinema and and I was going to ask for this section it's putting you on the spot a bit but dream double bill Robocop and Terminator that would come on that would be oh, an amazing double it didn't bill. take long no. <laughs> like, straight on at like, all like they don't even have to be in the same film series I did I did go to the Alien double bill last year which I think was a little bit better which was Alien and Aliens mm. and seeing Aliens on the big screen was just unbelievable I'd seen uh, Alien had been on before Aliens hasn't been so that Alien and Aliens was a good double bill I'm with you I think I think the idea is great they're a bit harder if they're, one film starts at midnight. That's not always easy to start right. up for. Or Cineworld will start the film early. Thanks for messing up the midnight screen of Guardians 2 Cineworld. That was supposed to be a double bill as well. But no, I, I do like the idea of double bills. I did try a triple bill of the Hobbit trilogy, which I think I might have talked about on a very earlier episode. Yeah, man. I was, mean, I don't envy you that. It's that was tough. hard. For me, it was hard to get through <laughs> one of those films. Not that they're bad, just because I find them quite a grind to, to sit through. But um, I've got... Uh, well, I've got loads of ideas for, for Dream Double Bills, but thinking about Alien as I have been most of this week and, and that franchise how about Aliens and Mother the South Korean movie Mother did you catch up with that I haven't seen that yet no. okay no. just just because the, the, the okay because the mothers the themes the, the, of motherhood are so motherhood. strong okay yeah but I mean loads of ideas if you have any of your own get what about uh, Amor and Son of Saul well, Son of Saul, I haven't caught yeah, up with it. No. Yeah. A more in Son of Saul, a more devastating double bill. I don't think could be uh, could be wished upon an audience. You get free tissues before yeah, you go in. Definitely, you would need them for that. Um, right. Yes. Let's get out of the foyer, Paul. I think we spent long uh, long enough sort of loitering about there, and get up to the popcorn counter for popcorn as usual, served up to you hot and fresh. What have we got this week? Guess what. What's that? House three. Oh, here it is. <laughs> Finally, had to wait seven days between the house yeah. two review. And I'm this actually, one. I'm actually wait, I'm actually watching them on a weekly basis as well, so I don't, you know, get too excited and I get to talk about two house films in house films in uh, in the popcorn section. Um, house three is uh, subtitled, not as nowhere near as good a subtitle as the second story. Um, it's subtitled horror show. I'm fairly confident, and I've done some reading on this, or have I? I might just be lying here, that this was actually a standalone horror film called Horror Show, um, right. starring Lance Henriksen, uh, that was then just retitled House 3, Okay. Um, directed by James Isaac. Um, do you know what? It wasn't bad. Didn't you have reasonably high hopes for this one, going back to last time? I'd last say reasonably three. high hopes by the standards of the third one in a horror s- series. Yeah. I was going to say trilogy, but there's one left yet. Right, yeah. Um, to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, do you know what? It, it wasn't too bad. It owes a lot. Lance Henriksen's always watchable. Um, it's got uh, a villain in it who was in Blade Runner, and I've completely forgotten his name, so my apologies. Um, it owes a lot to Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, basically, uh, the, the general setup of it is uh, Lance Henriksen is a cop who arrests a serial killer. He watches him get in the electric chair, but he, he takes a while dying and says he's going to come back and kill Lance Henriksen's family. He kind of comes back as a ghost in the boiler in the basement, which is where the Nightmare on Elm Street similarities start. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of supernatural events happen. And obviously it's them trying to combat this ghost. It's, it is very like Nightmare on Elm Street. But do you know what? It was okay. I, I preferred it to House 2. So the obvious question is, you've got through House and House 2 and House 3. Yeah. What's the pecking order at the moment in terms of the House films? House 
one, three, and two so far. Okay, because two wasn't up to much. I, I, two I was know. an absolute shambles. I don't, I no idea what that film was about in the slightest. But, but House Four to come. House so. Four is still to come, and then you know, listen, lucky listeners, um, my Phantasm box set arrived. So um, yeah, you know, the more if you like horror, then I'm going to be talking about Phantasm for the next five weeks as well. So do it. There do we it go. Up. There we go. What's your uh, first popcorn pick? Uh, my first popcorn pick for this week, Paul, is a film by one Joe Lynch. Looking up Joe Lynch, it looks like he has done a sort of straight-to-video wrong turn sequel, which looks oh. bad, and some other things that also look bad. Um, this is Salma Hayek in Everly. Um, you might have seen this if you've been poking around streaming and stuff and thought like, oh, Salma Hayek did an action film, that might be cool. Maybe oh, it's Salma Hayek had that scene in Desperado. That's probably what most men are thinking, let's be honest. But. Yeah, now... It's an interesting situation here because, of course, Salma Hayek, as we may or may not know, is a lady in her later 40s who is married to a billionaire um, and has signed on to do this film that was officially released in 2014. I don't know if it was cinematic, maybe limited, but I've only seen it through streaming. Um, the tagline to which is enter if you dare and the entry to the film um, is a uh, sort of off camera, it was sort of, no, it's exactly an off camera <laughs> seemingly very violent, uh, gruelling gang rape of the protagonist played by, you know, relatively highly regarded Hollywood A-lister Sama Hayek. Mm. It seems a bizarre choice from that vantage point or a very, very brave one. But what you're left with from that point is obviously this sort of rape revenge story. Um, and at the, be- the the outset, you're reminded, obviously, of, of, of the film that we reviewed quite recently, Elle. I was going to say, yes. Because could yep. this take an interesting turn? Could this go somewhere you didn't expect it to go? The answer to that is resoundingly no. Um, it goes through the motions of sort of Sam Hayek uh, killing people with some verve and panache and then getting captured and then escaping and then getting captured. Are we and in escaping. like I Spit on Your Grave kind of remake It kind of I kind Spit of on Your Grave but instead of a forest it's sort of like a, a, a apartment building full of uh, seemingly uh, gangs of prostitutes who also have guns and can be hired as contract killers to try and kill it sounds a bit like a, a second rate Robert Rodriguez film is that a fair that's description a, that's a very very <laughs> uh, precise um, summary of what this is yeah and I mean I would just st- sort of bring this to an end by saying it must have been one of those how do you term this thing like a you've got to look at yourself a little bit when you are Salma Hayek and you find yourself in a scene in said film Everly where you're encased in a body cage um, it sounds it, well, it is what it sounds like <laughs> you're encased in a body cage and you're forced to watch the actress playing portraying your mother drink battery acid as a different kind of acid is sort of thrown at you and then you have a scene where you hold your dying mother as her insides are dissolved. I mean, it's, like you mentioned the Robert Rodriguez thing, there's there's a bit of style here. There's some, you know, those kind of um, gallows humour moments yeah. and kind of flashy kills and stuff and you think like, oh, you, you can get... The exploitation stuff I normally absolutely, bang on about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I can get on board with this. But to be fair, you get, for me anyway, maybe I come over too sensitive on this show, but I think that very quickly gets um, overburdened by by a sort of fairly depressing, sort of misogynistic bent mm. that doesn't do this film any favours. So I think in the end, it, yeah, I, I don't mind Robert Re- Rodriguez as a director as it goes. Um, I, I think that it's a ways off that. Okay. What have you got next? Right, with a more positive spin on this one, a film that 
I have personally must have seen the cover on DVD shelves um, so many times and thought I must watch this film and then I've done some reading and thought I must watch this film and then do you know what I'm going to put you out of your misery listeners I'm going to tell you what this film is oh please do this film is Philip Kaufman's 1983 almost masterpiece I would say The Right Stuff you not, the only mas- not the only masterpiece from 1983 right Paul no. It's the year I was born. Oh, okay. Fair, um, fair. Are you aware of The Right Stuff, Pete, as a I, film? I am very much aware of The Right Stuff, but I've never seen it, so I'm, I'm interested No, I think it's hear. a film that a lot of people that I've, I've spoken to on this over the past week, so maybe three people, um, have said, oh, yeah, I've heard of that and I really want to watch it. So to set the scene with The Right Stuff, um, there's so many cool people in this. You've got um, Sam Shepard, Jeff Goldblum, Lance Henriksen, Fred Ward. The same Lance Henriksen. Ed Harris. From the, the same Lance Henriksen, yeah. Um, Ed Harris. Um, amongst other people, some very cool people in it. And to set the scene, it's, it starts off um, being about the test pilots and how they went on to break the sound barrier and then turns into a film about the Americans trying to beat the Russians into space, obviously failing, and then about a, a film about astronauts and the space race. It's absolutely fantastic. So territory not dissimilar to Hidden Figures, perhaps. Yeah, no, it's set around the same. So, yeah, certainly set around the same time as Hidden Figures, and Hidden Figures did come to mind actually because it's interesting to see this from. You see this basically from the pilots' perspective, mm-hmm. um, and about how they they want to be treated as pilots and astronauts. The performances are great. The actual flight scenes and the space scenes are fantastically tense. Um, it's a long film. It's three hours ten minutes, and it fills it in places, which is probably its slight weakness I'd say maybe 10-15 minutes too long mm. but it, aside from that it's magnificent I really really enjoyed it and can't, can't recommend it highly enough if you're looking at it and going I'm thinking about watching that mm. watch it it's it's great everyone's on top form in yeah. it it's, I mean, it's rare that you well that we've reviewed a film that runs over three hours but this is worth the investment of time yeah say. I would yeah. say so yeah so it's, it, the, probably middle it sags it starts to sag a little bit Mm. But but not a lot because everyone's so good in it. It's nice to see all these this this very cool cast all acting together, and uh, you know any anything about space is, for me is inherently quite exciting anyway. And it's in, and certainly even sitting in even sitting in the lounge like the 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 flight scenes and the space scenes had you on the edge of the seat and genuine goosebump moments. So yeah, yeah, it's a, a lot to like about the right stuff, and I would highly recommend it. Um, quite a lot to like about my second pick for this week too. I think this is the girl with all the gifts, which I, you, you, Paul, may or may not have reviewed in a popcorn. The Last of Us, the movie. So, sometimes, yeah, kind <laughs> of, yeah, kind of. This is directed by one Colm McCarthy, um, but it stars Gemma Arterton and uh, Paddy Considine and Glenn Close, and then the little girl who is played by Senia Nanua. Nanua. I'm not sure on the pronunciation. I think the first go was better than the second. Nanua? Let's go with Nanua. That sounds better. Uh, yes. Breakout role for her. This is a film that's all about a little girl and uh, well, a load of little kids originally who are seemingly held in some kind of um, laboratory slash prison where they are under close control because they seem to have special abilities very quickly established that we're in territory of sort of infection slash zombie movie and these kids are semi-infected to the point where they're somewhere between a sort of you know undead zombie Mm. and a human being Um, but this makes them dangerous because of course they can become sort of ravenous and out of control I enjoyed this for a couple of reasons. I think one is the fact that zombie films have been done so much to death and then you've got video games. You mentioned Last of Us and all that kind of stuff. I mean, in video games, you've got 101 different zombie games to choose from. 
Um, but this did a bit of something different, right? Like, you've seen this too. For me, I, I liked the film. I enjoyed it. I just think it was too close to The Last of Us to really, to but, really warrant but existing. But for an audience who may not have that's fair that's fair it is a film no it's it's decent in its own right i did enjoy it i went to, i remember i did go to the cinema see it and yeah i did like it so despite I would, I, that aside yes i did I very much enjoy it i thought it was a solid it was a solid genre piece yeah and i mean i think Gemma Art- artisan's very game in this movie i think she commits to roles um increasingly compared to you know some of the earlier stuff that she did i think now as a you know woman in her early 30s i think she's really kind of coming into her best period mm. of work um the little girl as i say is a bit of a revelation i think she does pretty yeah. well throughout paddy considine is is good in almost anything um the parts where you've got these large-ish scale setups where you can walk amongst the i'm, I'm loath to call them zombies because they're not exactly zombies but no. You can walk amongst the infected yeah. as long as you don't make any loud noises, and that's played for quite good sort of ten- tense moments. It's got, yeah, yeah, it's decent. It's got I some do think they they fluff the ending a little bit. Um, don't exactly stick the landing at the end of this film, but things to like for sure. Mm. By no means bad, and yeah, if you're into that sort of zombie, I did, no, I did agree with that. Stuff, yeah. then yeah, give it a go. This is the girl with all the gifts. What have you got, Paul? Number three. Uh, my final popcorn movie of this week is uh, after watching The Handmaiden, I wanted to re- catch up and reassess uh, Park Chan-wook Stoker, his English language debut. There's no W pronounced in that word. Let's go again. Is it Park Chan-wook? It is. Is that how it's pronounced? Okay. My apologies, uh, Director <laughs> Director Park, as they called him in the special features, to Stoker, which is pretty cool, actually, that he gets everyone to refer to himself as Director Park. I like <laughs> that. Um, yes, but but back to task. I did remember seeing Stoker at the cinema and being a little bit underwhelmed by it. Um, I think maybe... I don't, know, I don't know what my expectations were. They were very high, I think. Um, and watching it again, I think I've reassessed it, and I think I prefer it on second viewing. Uh, the performances, Matthew Good, Mia Wachowska, if I can... Mia... Vasikovska, is it? I believe. Okay, Mia Vasikovska, Nicole Who, Kidman, who's been in like every film yeah, since this, every film pretty, ever. pretty much, and also Rogue, which I watched, but that's a, that's a whole other, it's a whole other uh, podcast. But yeah, Stoker. So no, I've, I've reassessed it, and I think it, it's it's still beautifully shot. I think he is a master of visual storytelling. Mm. Um, I I like the tension of it. I like the performances. It just doesn't still for me. I've seen a lot of five-star views being bandied around for Stoker, and it still doesn't quite grab me in the way that I thought it would. Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of exterior scenes that take place in the woods that I, I just struck me as looking a little bit cheap. Yeah. Um, as much as, like you say, and absolutely rightly, Park Chinook is, is a master of, of the visual. Uh, yeah, that I remember that jarring for me a bit. When, when you've got so much good stuff in there I think, and so many... Yeah, and I think the, the problem with me for Stoker is that his back catalogue is so good mm. that if one doesn't quite live up to the, the, my expectation, then it's going to feel like a lesser movie than, it, mean, probably needed, than it probably is, in fairness. We should remember that, I think you maybe said this a moment ago, but like um, this was the first English language yes, film, yeah. Chinook, right? Yeah. And like, look at what happened to Wong Kar Wai yeah. with My Blueberry Nights. I mean, it's not that film. No, it's that's very that true. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's a difficult transition, I think, for mm. Asian film directors to come over and work with, you know, the English language, the nuances, are, you know, of using that language, which isn't their first. Um, Park Chanuk speaks good English, but there's a there's going to be a distance there. And it's right? perhaps telling he's obviously gone back to Korean for, for The Handmaiden, so perhaps that's 
perhaps there's something to be read into that perhaps there isn't I don't know but I, yeah Stoker was it was good I liked it more second time round and I would still say it's a, it's a very Kidman's strong very, film very good yeah. in it as well yeah yeah Cool. Uh, talking about very good films, this is not one. I am going to review for my third and final popcorn movie this week, uh, 31, which is the latest from your boy Rob Zombie. You may be familiar with him from uh, his musical career that culminated in that one Dracula, maybe, where he sort of drones <laughs> on about that for a bit. I liked Rob Zombie enough when I was 17 years old and didn't know better. Uh, then he became a film director. He made a bunch of stuff. Um, not an awful remake of Halloween. He did a rubbish Halloween remake. He did... Uh, a rubbish sequel to a rubbish remake. The House of a Thousand Corpses. Is that correct? I think yeah. so. And that other one that was uh, Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Devil's Rejects of all of these was the one that I liked the most, but he does things that are really irritating, like shooting action in slow motion with like kind of ironic... Uh, classic tracks over like I think he uses Freebird at the end of one of those movies yeah. in slow motion in a gun shootout and it's fucking annoying um, 31 anyway to get to the film that I'm going to briefly review is uh, a film about five people that are kidnapped no way in a Rob Zombie film uh, <laughs> and it's around Halloween again surprised um, and they're held hostage in a place called Murder World this guy Murder World okay, is yeah. what 50 years of age now near enough but yeah Murder World they go to Murder World uh, while trapped they must play a violent game called 31 never really explained why it's called that where the mission is to survive 12 hours against a gang of evil clowns is there 31 evil clowns this is no <laughs> okay. this is uh, Rob Zombie's you know it might as well be called self parody right like every Rob Zombie element is turned up to 11 right and we are <laughs> the tag okay the tagline for this is welcome to hell um, and I think on the actual poster for the movie is death is the only escape and there might be a part of you that feels that your own death might be the only escape from 31 I understand that people are still on board with Rob Zombie I don't really understand why that's my <laughs> maybe you can help me out here Paul the, the guy just seems so reluctant to evolve anywhere beyond the same sort of sophomoric like teenage uh, you're like I don't know like if we can show some tits and then some blood and yeah exploitation cinema I'm all for it but like it's so just thuddingly uninventive and I would agree with that and recycled I, think the, the, and, I mean I, I quite like a couple of his films I think it's House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects are probably the two that I quite quite enjoyed I like Devil's Rejects enough I enjoyed them enough but again there's, that was there's, like 15 there's, years but ago. there's also there's something so formulaic about the kind of exploitation horror that he makes yeah. that it's just any. I, th I almost think anyone could do it and I think the problem with someone like Rob Zombie is because he's got, and obviously, you know, each to their own, because he's got such an ardent fan base that would just lap up anything that he does. I don't think he needs to try and do anything outside of what he does already because there's there's a market for it because he's got a fan base. So I don't think we'll see him try and do anything different, to be honest. Um, there's, a, there's, yeah. a, there's a reviewer on Letterboxd who I, I quite like. Um, and she opened her review by saying, Rob Zombie's got me pining for Richard Linklater and I, I, that that's it I mean that's it for me she summed that up like you watch a film like this and you just think oh, just give me a, a palate cleansing good human film director yeah. who isn't just going to cast his wife in everything and then have like jokes about wanking cut against like decapitations cut <laughs> against needless relentless cruelty like there is I, I don't want to get preachy but there is enough needless suffering in the world and I just don't see the benefit 
in retreading the same ground over and over and over and over again. It's but almost like, like you said, there's a built, yeah, built in audience. It's almost like he just makes the same films over and over again. And he probably won't stop, which is why we should stop with popcorn and go on to a more... Let's try and bring the tone up again, I think. Bring the tone up to coming attractions. So as we said, you've had your popcorn, you're sitting down in the cinema, the trailers are rolling. Uh, my first pick is a film that's actually out on Friday, Pete. On yes. Friday. Oh, wow. Um, and a trailer that I only watched today, although I have been aware of the film and just not managed to catch Me up with too, the trailer. Me too, man. Before. I know what you're going to talk about. It's exciting. So, I am very excited uh, for Sean Foley's Mindhorn, mm. um, which stars Julian Barrett, who is one of my, I think, probably one of my favourite people. In fact, no, he is one of my favourite people. Well, we were having this discussion earlier on. Has Julian Barrett done anything bad? And it was mentioned amongst the group that uh, maybe a film in England, but I, I wouldn't co-sign on that. I don't think it's a no, bad I like film. It's not, it's not my yeah. favourite, uh, yeah. you know, but uh, so much wonderful stuff to pick from, from Mighty Boosh to Flowers to on and on and on. So, so Mindhorn is a, uh, a cop comedy, for want of a better description of it. Basically, um, Julian Barrett plays an actor who, in I think in the 70s or 20 years ago, had a successful cop show called Mindhorn. Um, a serial killer gets out of jail, starts killing people. Uh, obviously, assumes that, and I say obviously, assumes that Mindhorn may be a real detective and wants to, will only deal with Detective Mindhorn. So Julian Barrett, as an actor, comes out of retirement, has to play Mindhorn uh, to take on this serial killer. Now it all looks very, very funny. Um, Steve Coogan's in this thing. It kind of reminded me this conceit a little bit of. Do you remember on the Fast Show, the yeah. sketch comedy show, they had that thing called um, Monkfish. Yes. Where there was a detective called Monkfish, and like it, the the feel of this trailer felt yeah. a bit like that sort of a parody. And but... it also feels kind of like Galaxy Quest as well. Right. Where, yeah. So anyway, I'm very intrigued by Mindhorn. It's out uh, Friday. You can see the trailer now. So I suggest you do so. Oh, Julian Barrett is an absolute treasure. So please support this film if you yeah. have any interest. If you've watched an episode of Mighty Boosh and you know what we're talking about, then get yourself there because that support is going to get this thing more than like a and day. And if you haven't watched cinema. Flowers, then go and watch Flowers. Oh, now. and it'll it'll break your heart and make you make you laugh. Yeah, incredible. Um, mine for this week in the coming attraction section is a film called It Comes at Night. You know those horror films that now start with It and makes them sound more sinister? Well, It or like, It. Well, It, there's yeah, that one. It, and yeah. it, it Follows was the one yeah. I was going for. This is directed by Trey Edward Schultz. So this is It Comes at Night, did you say? It so? Comes at yeah. Night, yeah. Uh, Trey Edward Schultz is a director that I became aware of at the tail end of last year through his um, sort of breakout indie film, Cretia. Uh, Cretia has something in common with this movie because the synopsis for uh, It Comes at Night is uh, secure within a desolate home an unnatural threat terrorises the world and a man has established a tenuous domestic order with his wife and son but this will soon be put to the test when a desperate young family arrives to seeking refuge. Now the reason I say it has a link to Cretia is because Cretia is a very very small budget film about a member of the family who comes back to the family home after a long period of absence, uh, I think stretching 15 or 20 years, who is an alcoholic and a recovering alcoholic, so she says. Um, and then the rest of the film is all about her um, relapse into alcoholism and that sort of awkward, threatening um, nature of you know somebody who's under the control of a substance right and the, the damage that can do to a family whereas here we've got that outside force being more generic and um uh related to this sort of horror genre stuff when you watch the trailer it might just look like an average you know home invasion type 
scary, mm. gloomy situation. But I think there's more going on with this director, and there'll be more going on with this film okay. than maybe how it appears in the trailer. Yeah. Which I should say looks really good anyway yeah. on, on its own terms. Joel Edgerton's in this thing. I love Joel Edgerton. Um, I think he's a very, a very underrated actor. Yeah, very underrated actor. So. Um, Oh, and Riley Keough, we should say too, Riley Keough seems to be in like everything good that's coming out uh, around now. She was in American Honey, which we she's raved in about. Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road. She's going to be in uh, Logan Lucky, which is the Soderbergh film with Adam Driver and uh, Channing Tatum yeah. doing a heist at a NASCAR event, which just sounds all kinds of great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, loads of good Riley Keough coming up. And this, uh, It Comes at Night, looks really good. And uh, it's out in uh, like a month month june time is it june, june 9th yeah. of june yeah. so it says here in the u.s so maybe a week and later the, and the trailers the trailers up well it went up an, an hour ago in fact an hour yeah, before it. we started recording i think the trailer went up which shows you the preparation that goes into this podcast oh, at times and I, <laughs> sorry paul but i can't get like i'm not reviewing any alien related stuff this week yeah for the reasons that we explained earlier but when you have the film it comes at night it's hard not to say mostly they come at night uh, mostly <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that on that show right take us out of here Paul and to our feature section we got our feature already. section we are already at the feature section um, oh, as right. I said before you might, you may have noticed and you probably may be going to see this film uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 um, the sequel to in my opinion probably the best Marvel film where would you stand on that, Pete? I'm probably with you, man. Like, when we talked about it on this here show, I think that I said that I got a bit tired of sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe, blah, 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 yeah. all that stuff. And then this was just, like, freewheeling and yeah. good fun, and I enjoyed it a lot, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I think it was personally it's my favourite Marvel film. I think perhaps the original is my favourite Marvel film because it doesn't feel like a superhero film. It feels more like Star Wars and feels like its own kind of... It's got its own universe and isn't related to Ready For This Listeners. Uh, the Avengers and the Infinity Bore. I've been thinking of that all week, Pete. The oh, Infinity get that on. Yeah, I thought Twitter I'd get that out there. Something. Yes, or perhaps not. But anyway, Guardians 2. Um, Pete, set the scene for us. Okay, I will try. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, it, the team's adventures continue, essentially. I mean, it's hard for me to set this up, Paul, because I said to you, uh, coming out of the screening, that it was probably 30 minutes into the film where it sort of dawned on me, like, what, what is the plot of this film? Um, and I'm not, this isn't some huge start of like a big ranty criticism. It's just the fact that I felt the same way about Guardians 1, that the plot is very secondary. Like it's there to drive events forward, but you come here for this cast of characters, right? Yeah. From Dave Bautista, who is funny in with almost every line of the film, to Chris Pratt, who plays the, the hero, and his mixtape plays such a big part in this, and the music in the background. Uh, Zoe, Zoe Saldana, uh, Vin Diesel now... Well, I'm going to start listing off characters yeah, and getting yeah. ahead of myself. So how do you feel the film succeeded or failed in terms of actually being some kind of coherent narrative let's start there um, I think I came into the film with a little bit of a sense of dread to be honest because as, as I mentioned earlier about you know about the, the other Marvel films I had concerns about this that we might this knowing that it's not a secret that the Guardians are going to turn up in the Avengers films further down the road and I had my concerns and I thought oh Christ here we go they're going to be dragged into the wider, the wider Marvel Universe and I really didn't want that mm. and you don't get that which I think is really nice it's still Guardians still feels like its own thing um, the story no, I, would, I would agree is not the strongest um, and for probably as you say the first half an hour it's just people wisecracking which is very funny you'd be relieved to hear 
and still very enjoyable. I don't think it harms the film because what they do, they're so good at what they do, and it is still very entertaining. I think the set pieces are still great. I love the the I love the art design of the universe and the the little the little sort of oddities that James Gunn mm. brings to the universe. I think the the gang's all back together, and I think it works. Um, narratively, yes, it's it's not the strongest film, but as I said, I don't think it matters. And I think for me. More important than anything else is they don't overuse Baby Groot. Like you've got the opening scene, which is great, and then I was worried. I was like, "Here we go! It's just going to be this cute character way through. It's going to be the fucking minions all over again." Uh, and it's not. They don't. In fact, they don't overuse anyone. I think. Go easy on those minions. Yeah, but I just, I just think they don't overuse anyone. I think the lack of narrative doesn't matter when they when they balance the characters as well as they have done here. Yeah, I mean the. This is, I guess, where this thing's going to stand or fall in the opinion of you know listeners to this and stuff and people who go to see it is the film is so steeped in its own sort of sense of irony and like no the stakes don't really matter because we're all like you know looking with a sort of ironic eye at everything that's mm. going on on screen and a sort of knowingness about the way that these films are conventionally made and skewering those and that's become like a popular thing with things like Deadpool and Guardians yeah. One and, and whatnot and I think I agree with you that for the most part the sort of that works and it's funny enough to hold it together the characters are engaging enough to hold it together and like you said um, Baby Groot voiced here by Vin Diesel who is so sort of lifeless and um, lacking in charisma in the recent <laughs> Fast and Furious 8 that we reviewed a couple of episodes ago but you know within this small role yeah. brings a lot of charm uh, yes. I mean there's after effects and things but brings a lot of charm and yeah that character is engaging enough cute enough my girlfriend was like losing her shit about how cute baby yeah. group was yeah but um as was my girlfriend but I've seen not she, overdone yeah she did say that she wants to bring a baby group figure into the house the best one I can find cost 228 pounds so apparently we're not getting a baby group figure anymore but right um, yeah I'll wear her down I think but um yeah I think yeah it's it's a lot of fun I, I don't think it's as good as the original I don't think it was ever going to be as good as the original because I think the original brought breathed a, a brush of fresh air really into into kind of sci-fi films and I think the original kind of was almost it's, again it, it just it reminds me of Star Wars in, in a lot of ways it's almost a more humorous Star Wars than it is a, than it is a Marvel but, superhero film but do you think you struck on something there that maybe when the first one came out it was such a sort of palate cleanser it was such a, a welcome break from the kind of self-serious Marvel Universe stuff mm. that we were getting quite used to and bogged down with that then maybe this film sort of repeating that trick if we're honest um there's not a, again a, a big um slight on the film but yeah sort of repeating the trick of the first film is going to be very difficult because it's not suddenly a new and refreshing thing in fact we're familiar with it because we've all no, seen it no i agree with that and one. i think in, in fairness i don't i think i don't think you can expect any more from a sequel to guardians of the galaxy than what we get in guardians of the galaxy volume 2 i i think that's fair to say i think it's it's a very successful sequel as I, as I said before, it was never going to beat the original and pretty much for the reasons that, that you've just stated. So I enjoyed it. I'd watch it again. I certainly would watch a third one. And uh, yeah, I was relieved. So on, I was, you know, at the beginning of this review, reeling off some characters. Who stands out for you and who is, is maybe not so good? I mean, if anyone... It, I don't think anyone really time. isn't good. Um, Dave Bautista, I think, is just the fact that every time he, every time he laughs, I laughed. Mm. And everyone laughed, and you'd think that's the kind of gag that would, in, in the wrong hands, in, in fact, in the wrong hands, any of the characters here would get irritating very quickly. And I think it's a credit to James Gunn that they don't. So no one stands out particularly. I just think, that, and as I said, I'm repeating myself, admittedly, but the, just the balance 
between all of the cast, I think is, is so well handled. Michael Rooker, oh, the, giving Michael Rooker more screen time is great. And I'm not trying not to spoil any of the plot, but there is there's a particular standout moment for Michael Rooker that relates to Mary Poppins. And that's one of the best things I've seen on screen in ages. So that was great. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm with you, man. Like I like um, quite a lot. Karen Gillan, uh, who plays Nebula in this, with sort of blue face, silver yeah. and blue get up going on. I liked her in the first one. I like her here. I like her just in general, really. And I think she she get, has more to do in this yeah. film than she did in the first one. Um, I think Chris Pratt is at risk of of being sort of uh, oversaturated in the public consciousness. I think, um, but. It's that charm, and there's a lot of it. Yeah. As much as it gets spread a bit thin when you've seen him, you know, now lead off so many big films mm. that you've had to shove down your throat. Um, he pulls it off. He's still pulling it off, and, and yeah. hopefully that's not going to abate anytime soon. Uh, Zoe Saldana's fine, um, I think, in this. Um, and yeah, I don't know if we've missed anyone. Oh, po- I looked up the name, and it's going to be a difficult one to pronounce as well. Uh, Pom Clementiev. Tom Clementiev is the actress who plays Mantis, and I thought that role was pretty charming. Yes, the um, the empath with antennas. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, th- yeah. this kind of relationship that sort of builds up and falls at every turn between her and Dave Bautista's character yeah. because of the fact that he is so overtly honest with yes. everything that he says to her to, you know, sort of his own uh, discredit in her eyes, really. With- I thought that was a nice addition to this film. Yeah, I, oh, absolutely. I think everything everything that's new works, um, and certain characters that didn't get, I didn't think got enough screen time in the first one, get more screen time here. Kurt Russell, hasten, we, we've forgotten to mention, is in this, which is great to see. I love Kurt Russell. Well, and we had young Kurt anything. Russell at the beginning. It turns yeah. out that in all superhero movies now, you have to use that. They've developed that technology. Yeah. We can make anyone look young. We've had yeah. it with like Chris Evans in the past and throughout those Robert Captain Dane America Jr. Yeah, yeah. things and Iron Man as yeah. well. Um, and here we have, yeah, it was like, who's this actor looking all dashing? Oh, okay, that's what they've done. Yeah, yeah Kurt Russell cropping up again. Fast and Furious 8. Kurt uh, yes. Russell, yeah, no, it's, it's, genu- it's nice to see Kurt Russell back on the big screen. So, There's um, a lot to like about it. Yeah. Um, one I want to mention on this character rundown before we move on. Um, my least favourite character in this thing, Rocket, the Bradley Cooper character. I think weaker in this film than the first one. I don't find that character very funny. If I'm if Okay, I'm it didn't honest. really grate with me. I think he had less... I think if there's any character that probably had slightly less to do in this one it's probably rocket i think maybe mm. um, and that may be that may be the problem but no i don't particularly find him great and i think he's meant to be fairly annoying anyway but um but very popular and probably selling 200 pound replica toys yeah, of rocket yeah, all over yeah. the world so i'm sure they're fine and also a standout i think um sean gunn you uh, made me aware of the fact that sean gunn is actually um the director's brother yes james Gunn's brother because he was in the Valkyrie experiment he was so, in the Valkyrie yeah. experiment yeah as the kind of slacker stoner yeah. character that we didn't really talk about when we did that review but yeah he has a lot of fun in his role and he seems to wholeheartedly commit to yeah. uh, to what he's doing so it's good to see him hopefully we'll see more of him in the future but yeah coming out of guardians um i think i liked it slightly less than the first film but i like the first film quite a bit and i think if you liked elements or all of that first film then you probably have to see this one right? i don't think i don't think you can hope for a better sequel really to be honest i think it was it did exactly what it needed to do and it did it well i think where i am though is that coming out when they say the guardians will return mm. and we know all this stuff's coming there's a bit more fatigue creeping in than there is excitement. Possibly, on it, my part. if they if they can keep it, if they can keep the standard, I, I am aware they're going to be in, Aveng- in Avengers: Infinity War. Um, but if they can keep Guardians Three separate from the rest of the universe, then I'll definitely come back for it. Yeah, that's where I stand. But yeah, cool. 
Uh, let's move on, Paul, because we've got one more fat section to go, and that is homework. You haven't done your homework, have you, Pete? No. Can I make my excuses? No. No. I mean, there's no good excuse, really, <laughs> listeners. I sent um, you Solaris as well. It's not. It's a fucking amazing film I've set you. I'm swearing no, at him now. I'm not that actually that angry. But yeah, Solaris, and you didn't watch it. Why? You're, you're right. <laughs> okay. It was a very alien-dominated week for a start. I did watch a lot of the alien films. But also, I got myself into the last couple of days. It's what can happen with this seven-day cycle. The last couple of days, looking for a time to watch it. I thought I'd have it today. Work changed. Uh, my schedule changed around a little bit. Didn't have time. So, I'm in trouble, Paul. And we've said in the past that we would have some kind of punishment. What is mine? Your punishment is, and actually, it's timely for me. Because if I don't... In fact, you've only pretty much got a day to watch this punishment. Otherwise, I will die. Right. Um, because six days ago... It might not have been six days ago, but for the sake of this section, it will be. Six days ago, for the sake of argument, I watched Rings, which we did a coming attraction on months and months and months ago. Yeah. It was fucking dreadful. Or brilliant. No. I'll decide. It's absolutely dreadful. And I struggled to watch that more so. I considered maybe giving you the suckling to watch. But I thought, no, even the suckling, I think, was was better than Rings. So, I uh, bet. Here's my place Rings to you. is your punishment. Here's my place to you, Paul. I bet. I think Rings is better than 31, the Rob Zombie movie that I reviewed today. Oh, there we go. That'd that, be a treat. Yeah, lay down that'd that gauntlet. That'd we'll be a see, test. We'll see how that goes. And of course, I've still got to watch Solaris, so I yes. will do that this week, and then we'll get back to that review on next week's show. So ask me if I've done my homework. Please. Have you done your homework, Paul? Yes, I have. Well, what did you get? A one and a half hour indie film, whereas I got a two and a half hour film. But you know, you're not making any more excuses for my... It's an hour, and I set you Solaris, which is an amazing film, and you set me... Uh, a reasonably enjoyable but ever so slightly cliched indie piece oh, called Night Owls. Come on now, come at me. What have you got on Night Owls? I, I most I mostly enjoyed it. I thought it was again. It's it's nice to see something uh, well acted and it's it's good that's dialogue driven. I've forgotten the leading lady's name who I think you said Ro- was Rosa in, Salazar. I thought was great. I thought yeah, she was really she's good. Someone to watch um, for sure. I, for the most part, I thought it was a, it was an interesting premise. And he's good too. Adam Pally is the, the that's the guy's name. Lead. Adam Pally, yeah. And I, I like both of them. Um, and for the overall, I did don't get me wrong, I did, I did enjoy this film. I think towards the end, when he's talking about being bullied because he wanted to be valedictorian, I think there was moments when it drifted a bit Spoiler. into. Spoiler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a moment when it, I think it drifted a bit into that indie cliche that we talked about that how Patterson so wonderfully avoided. And I think even Happy Christmas avoided it. I think for me, Night Owls drifted a little bit into indie film cliche in places. But okay. overall, I, I liked it. I liked it enough. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll so, accept. I'll yeah. begrudgingly accept your review. Well, I did my homework. And so to be fair, I didn't. So I've only really got a leg yeah. to stand on, yeah. have I? Uh, cool. Well, we've got to set new things, right? And you're going to have to remind me what I was going to set you. I've completely forgotten. You suggested it to me. I did suggest it to you. There's a Michael Rooker link to this one. Oh, yes. Okay, okay, okay. I'm back in the room. Yeah, so, uh, Paul, I am... You have graciously allowed me to set you homework, even though I'm in the doghouse. So, um, I am going to set, yes, Michael Rooker's, I would say, big sort of breakout, or where I became aware of who Michael Rooker was as as a student, I guess. And that is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which... Is no fun, no fun at all. Which is a grim horror film that I haven't seen, which is unusual because normally I'm fairly fairly up to speed with these. It's that grotty horror as well. It's not that horror like ghouls and haunting. I've kind of seen that. I've seen the cover a few times and seen his face and gone, yeah, I I know I need to watch that film, but I haven't. Yeah, sweaty, grotty mess, uh, in in a good way. So yeah, well, Rings is a mess in a bad way. So um, yeah. 
Uh, cool. Well, that's that then. I, I suppose that's, up, that's us for this week. So next week we'll be back. Um, I, the plan at the moment, assuming Cineworld in Cheltenham show Mindhorn, the plan at the moment I think will be to review Mindhorn and Sleepless. Yeah, we've got a Sleepless preview coming up. So we'll yeah, probably Sleepless, depending on how yeah. that film pans out, and definitely Mindhorn if we get the if release. we get to see it. So that'll be the plan for next week. Um, so yeah, um, thank you for listening, and we'll catch up. With Come you next back, week. yeah. If you enjoyed this one, tell someone else. Bring them along to the party. Um, we're aware of what you do listeners when there are big Hollywood big budget films like the one we've reviewed this week you come in droves when there are smaller indie films you stay away let's change that paradigm <laughs> because uh, you're better than that I know you and, and you, you're blossoming you're becoming a better person so yeah uh, sort of reach up to the standard that we're uh, on at this point um, you can contact us through the Twitter can't you Paul yes at Strangers Cinema uh, we've also got other social media that you can get us just on. basically type Facebook Strangers in a Cinema that. into social media and you, you will find us yeah and if you want any of the back episodes you want to listen to our reviews of other things then they're all on SoundCloud I think as far back as like episode 2 or 3 uh, get yourself over there support those as well again share them review them etc etc and so on we're not going to do any begging um, yeah hope you enjoyed this week's show we'll be back in seven days yes <laughs> when people have watched rings exactly until then it's goodbye from me Pete and goodbye from me Paul